not be able to plug in, turn on, and cop out. You will not be able to lose yourself on Skag and skip out for beer during commercials because the revolution will not be televised. And welcome into the first edition of the Go 24-7 podcast. I am Billy Embody. Joining me, Shay D., Sonny Money, Shay Dixon, Sonny Ship for this inaugural podcast. Guys, pretty amped to get this thing going. Yeah, well, Bill, glad to uh, glad to get this thing rolling again. Uh, we had to, Shay and I had to go twenty four seven podcast about a year ago, year and a half ago, and a lot of subscribers and a lot of uh, a lot of our followers were asking for it to come back, and so now it's good to uh, we got you in charge and got Shay on the other end, and I'm excited to uh, talk about some uh, talk about some football and all the good stuff going on on the LSU sports community right now. Yeah, I don't know if it's a good thing that I'm in charge, but yeah. We'll have a good time with this, I feel like. So uh, we're going to get into a little spring football today. We're going to uh, kind of preview that as it gets underway on Sunday with the first practice of the spring. For LSU, a lot of storylines, a lot of uncertainty with this team and and uh, all of that leading up to spring game on April 21st uh, in Tiger Stadium. Sonny and, and Shake and chime in on this after, but what are you kind of looking for overall out of this spring from LSU? Well, I think the you know I think the biggest question that that everyone has, and and Ed Orgeron kind of addressed that when he was on one hundred four point five in, in Baton Rouge on Thursday morning, was that they have to have a quarterback step up, and it seems like forever that that's been the the storyline and the big theme going into spring, going into fall camp, and really throughout the season since uh, Zach Mettenberger had the reins in 2012 and 2013. So I, I think that's a big one right there. Obviously, running back is going to be a huge storyline. And then you look at that offensive line. How's it going to look going from left to right up front? Which new, you know, which newcomers are going to make some strides? And how are, uh, how are those guys from the, uh, from the 2018 class, how are they going to uh, continue to progress? And are they ready to toss their name into the hat to see if they're going to get a lot of PT this year? I think one thing I'm – kind of monitoring. Uh, and I think the, the feeling is, is that the offense will be sort of the thing that everybody watches and the defense will be the, the strength going into the season. Um, you know, maybe Sands cornerback, cornerback, um, just because they didn't, you know, they didn't sign anybody in the last class and they moved Kelvin Joseph down one of their recent signees and moved Manny Netherly over there. So obviously they're searching for people, but I think guys that, sort of a big storyline will be and is that there's so many new coaches on the staff and how does that translate to, you know, better play on the field or new D line coach, a new safeties coach, um, you know, Jerry Sullivan's now an on-field coach and working with wide receivers in the passing game and Insminger as an offensive coordinator and James Craig is the new O-line coach. I just think they're Beyond just the players, there's a lot of moving parts to the team right now, and I think that's going to be a an interesting dynamic to monitor sort of over the next spring ball and summer and into fall camp. Yeah, similar to, to when they, they brought in Tommy Robinson and Mickey Joseph and Matt Canada. Everybody was watching those guys the first few practices just to kind of see how they mesh. Uh, we'll be watching James Craig. We'll be watching Bill Bush and, and Dennis Johnson along the defensive line at his new position. That'll, that'll be something that I'll be – particularly paying attention to as well. One thing that I really want uh, to see is, is how does left tackle look? 
especially because for me, that's the foundation of the offensive line. And it's early to kind of pigeonhole people in. And But this spring, there's an opportunity for Badara Traore to really come in and, and solidify that right away. And so what does that look like? Sadiq Charles saw some time there last year. Uh, I want to see this offensive line, like Sonny mentioned, really kind of get settled early on and, and start working towards kind of meshing together because last year it was pieced together at times and they kind of had a, a decent season for, for all the injuries that they kind of dealt with. But uh, this is a, a clean slate with a new coach and I'm interested to see how he coaches them up. Yeah, you mentioned Bedari Traore, and he's another one that Ed Orgeron sang a little bit of praise on that he's looked good in the in the limited off season uh, conditioning that they've done. Obviously, they can't they can't uh, they can't have a football, they can't have contact or anything, but just a lot of um, you know just just a lot of going through drills, a lot of a lot of skeleton drills and, and formations and things like that. So it sounds like that he's catching on to things, uh, you know, pretty quickly, which is going to be key because coming from the junior college ranks like he is, you know, getting him in for the spring is just so big. And, you know, you have to go back to to probably Joe Barksdale since you think of it, you think of a prototypical left tackle that LSU has had, you know, Lael Collins, he was, a, you know, he was a good left tackle, but. I think everyone thought that his natural position was going to be either a uh, guard or right tackle at the next level. And so it's going to be interesting to see, you know, how much and how soon Traore is able to, uh, to get everything down and uh, what kind of, uh, what kind of push he makes this ring. I'm, I'm interested to see really how that all flushes out, which I guess in large part, revolves around what happens at left tackle and with Badara and, you know, what we presume would be Sadiq Charles or if Charles moves to right tackle and what happens at, you know, I think we're all going into it thinking that Lloyd Cushenberry, who, you know, took a red shirt um, right when he got into the program and he made some waves when Clapp sat out of spring ball last year. He got a lot of first team reps. So this would be his second year at center. And uh, obviously you've got Brumfield as your lone guy back and, uh, from that veteran group and Ingram would plug in at the other guard. So uh, on the outside and, and in the middle, because they've talked up Cole Smith here early on and he's an automatic backup at the center spot. Does he push Cushenberry and, and sort of how do those two kind of, how do things flesh out with between Badar and, and between Sadiq, which uh, suddenly their offensive tackle woes, at least going into spring ball seem to have been, answered uh, in a very short amount of time by a true freshman coming in and Sadiq and then being able to, to hold on to Badar and get him in at midterm. Yeah, you know, and when you look at the offensive line too, another guy that has kind of been forgotten in the shuffle is uh, Donovan Campbell. You know, he uh, he had injuries last year. He had some things that, uh, you know, that he had to work out everything. So, uh, but he was he's another highly acclaimed offensive guard, played four or five games as a, as a true freshman. And I think he saw action in one game last year in the opener, but never played again. And so... You know that that's another guy that that probably doesn't uh, get get mentioned much as far or thought of as much when you look at at the potential offensive guard uh, spots. And and moving on to kind of some players, individual players, and really honing in on those guys that have the most to gain this spring. I think there's a few positions where you, you lose a Donnie Alexander, and and while you can debate whether or not there was better, there's better talent behind him. I think 
having Jacob Phillips, Tyler Taylor, Patrick Queen, guys like that behind him, they're more talented. And the the idea would be that one of them really takes the reins next to Devin White at inside linebacker. So I'm I'm interested to see how Jacob Phillips has progressed. I know Tyler Taylor is another one, but but Jacob Phillips was that really really highly regarded uh, linebacker land where they flipped him from Oklahoma, and and this is his opportunity to really put a stamp on a potential starting spot for me. Uh, I'm watching him in the middle. I think that the the thing going into when I'm looking at the defense at least and what you're starting, we presume will be kind of Fahoko and Lawrence and some guys on the D-line. I guess my point is I feel really great about Greedy Williams, right? And he is a prototypical outside corner. A lot of people think, Billy and Sonny, that if he has a big year this year, if he comes anywhere close to the season he had a year ago, he probably won't be targeted as much um, because people were avoiding Dante and Kevin Tolliver at times. Uh, but point being, if he has another solid year, he could come out as a draft-eligible sophomore because he redshirted. Uh, you feel great about him. Um, I'm looking for a player, I guess, among that, and, and we can talk about it. But uh, who else at corner steps up and sort of becomes the the greedy Williams, the guy who emerges out of seemingly left field to, to jump into a starting job? Yeah, and it, it really – this this – secondary especially at cornerback really it has a lot of questions and and without signing a, a true corner you they move Kelvin Joseph over there when he gets there in the fall but without signing a true co- corner there's a lot of question marks what does Christian Fulton's future hold I know that's been a hotly debated uh subject but you know indications are if he's a if he's take care of business he's going to be somebody that would start potentially opposite of Greedy Williams so can he put everything together and, and be the former five-star recruit that he was, or will it be somebody under the radar like John Trey Kirkland stepping up? I mean, what, what does this uh, cornerback position look like outside of Greedy Williams is probably the biggest question mark heading into spring. Yeah. And it's almost a, and it's almost a, a vice versa situation. When you look at the secondary, you've, you don't have a lot of bodies. You don't have a lot of guys, especially a lot of experience, um, you know, opposite of Greedy Williams at cornerback. But then you look at safety, and you've got just an abundance of guys. You've got Ed Paris and John Battle, both of those guys coming back. Grant Delpit. Uh, you toss in Eric Monroe, who who all uh, all indications and all reports so far are that you know that that he's really turned the corner and everything is, is really starting to click. And then that's what, what about five star safety Jacoby Stevens, who played receiver last year, but then played against Notre Dame. Uh, you know, played defense against Notre Dame in the Citrus Bowl. So it's it, it's it's good that they've got all those bodies and that they have all of that all of that talent. And that experience coming back at safety, but it also is, it all it's also going to create some log jams and some uh, some interesting scenarios for Bill Bush to work out. Yeah, I mean that's and how do how does Bill Bush and Corey Raymond mesh? And a lot of it has been uh, well, really, it's been Corey Raymond's uh, secondary for for as long as anybody can remember with a graduate assistant helping out. Um, what does that look like? Uh, he's got Leon Wright back as a defensive analyst. He was his uh, old graduate assistant as well. So they, they add even more help to the secondary in terms of coaches. I'm, that is probably the one dynamic going back to the staff, really, uh, that I'm watching the most. How, how much does, um, you know, how much does Bill Bush take off of Corey Raymond's hands on the field? I mean, it, it's got to be kind of weird in a way for them. I think that's probably what's the importance of, as I said, sort of one thing I'm watching is the, co- I guess the coaches, in addition to you know, all the new coaches and new responsibilities that 
these 15 practices because people have to remember too, these are, this is the first time these coaches are going hands-on. You know, there's not, they have fourth quarter drills and all that. Like all of these off-season workouts are being done with the strength and conditioning staff and with the weight staff. And um, even when they have these 30 minute periods, uh, it's not as hands-on or as organized or, or structured, I should say, as the, the spring practices become, especially when you're getting, you know, full days of it. So I'm monitoring. Yeah, that is a thing I'm monitoring, but I think it's a bonus. Look, I think you get Bush and Raymond, who are now two guys who can recruit the DB position, but more importantly, two guys that can coach it. And if you're going to go, you know, if you're going to find someone to work alongside Corey Raymond and under Dave Aranda, picking someone who's worked with both of them at Utah State and then with Aranda at Wisconsin, I think probably allows them to uh, sort of mold together uh, in short order, really, and be fine for this season. And if Bush fo- focuses on safeties and Corey Raymond focuses on the corners and, and they sort of work together at the nickel or, or sort of however they break it up, uh, I think that even a few practices in, this team will be in a better spot than, than you know we sort of they sort of normally are just because they'll be pacing ahead of themselves. Very good point. Very good point. Uh, going back to some of the players, we're – 10 minutes into this podcast and we haven't said Terrace Marshall's name yet. Uh, what, what are some of your expectations out of the uh, four and five star wide receiver guys? I think that what we saw <clears throat> coach O said this week um, on, I believe it was on off the bench on one four five in the morning with Jordy and T Bob that he was what, like 75, 80%. I think he said it was something along that, um, but nearing, you know, full strength. He was a guy who went down to the season ending injury I and he is here this spring, so we'll see how much how involved he is throughout the entirety of spring ball. But with when I'm looking at this wide receiver room, guys, with Gage and Shark both gone, a who who emerges, and I think Terrace has as good a chance as anyone. If I'm looking at raw talent, I think this isn't like a hot take. I mean, y'all can say whatever you want, but I think Jamar is thought of as a little bit more of a college-ready receiver than Terrace Marshall, Jamar Chase, the two five-stars they signed. But I think that Terrace getting in now and getting rehabbed and getting into the playbook um, will be a big bonus before Jamar arrives this summer. I honestly think both of them will play some next year, and we'll see if a guy like D. Anderson or Drake Davis can turn a corner. But you know, you kind of move into the early stages feeling like Stephon Sullivan and, to an extent, Derek Dillon. And these new guys, and I'm pro- there's a lot of them out there. Uh, I went through all the Jeffersons, Jordan, Ricky, Justin Jefferson, another who played some last year, racing maths on the bench. But I guess I just feel like early on I'm, I'm seeing if Marshall or Chase can break through because outside of Sullivan, I mean, is really anybody all that experienced with, you know, a ton of clout too in the coaches' minds? I'm with you on Jamar Chase. I, I think that I think that Jamar Chase – it has, has a very good chance to get early playing time uh, with Terrace Marshall. But another guy, another guy uh, not to sleep on, and Shay, you and I saw him at the offense defense All American Bowl, is Keenan Jones. You know, you're talking about a six, six, legit six, two, six, three, 205. You know, he could potentially be 215 pounds by the time uh, the season starts. 
And if he's able to come in and if he's able to uh, if he's able to learn the offense and shows that he doesn't have so much root, so much ground to make up uh, from the technical side of things. I think he's another guy who could potentially see the field, especially if if you don't see D Anderson or Drake Davis two highly acclaimed uh, kids out of high school who are going into their junior seasons now, especially if you don't see either one of those guys make a, uh, you know, make a move uh, this spring, then, uh, you know, Keenan Jones is another guy that, that could really, uh, you know, he's going to be physical enough to block. Um, he, he's got a big catch radius. He's, you know, he's got everything that they want to, you know, that you want in that big physical outside receiver. So I think he could turn, I think he could surprise some people and turn some heads too in fall camp. Quarterbacks, guys, Justin McMillan is the elder statesman of the group, but this is Miles Brennan's job right now. In a way, he's going to take the first snaps. That's what Steve Ensminger told uh, Jacob Hester a few weeks back when when he had him on uh, hanging with Hester on 104.5. And then uh, Lowell Narcisse, uh, a full year plus now, into the program, out out uh, healthy with those torn ACLs. So, what what are your some of your expectations with the quarterbacks, and and we'll kind of wrap things up after that. Well, I think you know uh, Miles Brennan. I, I, everyone expects him to to go into spring uh, with, I guess, the upper hand. You know, since he played last year, he didn't redshirt. But I think the, I I think the competition is going to be a lot closer, and I think it's going to be. I think I think you're going to see both quarterbacks play next year. I think you're going to see Lowell Narcisse and Miles Brennan both have packages, and Steve Insminger is going to to utilize Narcisse's legs and that that six two six three two hundred forty pound frame that he has, but not to the point to where when you bring him in, it's just going to be to run the ball. I think you're going to see some passing packages and, and you're going to see Narcisse, uh, you know, keep, keep defenses on their toes a little bit, you know, as far as who wins the, uh, who, who wins the starting job. I don't think anyone, I don't think anyone's going to be the the clear cut starter after the spring. And I think it would be wise of Ensminger and Ed Orgeron to, to keep it a close competition. You keep them two guys uh, going all fall, all summer into fall camp. And you just make it, you know, you make it to where, to where both guys uh, really feel like that they have a chance. And obviously I didn't mention Justin McMillan much. And, you know, he's a guy that I'll be surprised if he's here um, during the summer and into the fall, into fall camp where it is, he's supposed to be graduating. And if he does, I think you see him uh, go somewhere and be a grad transfer and have two years of eligibility at the school that he chooses. I would hate that for LSU's quarterback depth, even when you know that they didn't sign someone last year, not that that true freshman would be ready to carry the load, but you know, the starting quarterback is one injury away from the backup being the only quarterback on scholarship. If that happens. So I know that they've been working hard to make sure whoever loses this job or maybe is in third or, or deems himself to be in third doesn't want to leave. And and I know that's sort of the, how quarterbacks work now is that these guys will end up, you know, they don't have a lot of patience to sit around. They want to go play somewhere. I'll say this, and, and obviously we'll talk a ton this year, season, off season about quarterbacks, but I go into this trying to tell myself that whoever is the most accurate passer is going to win the job because they don't have the running game that we know of that, you know, they don't have not just a Darius Geis or a Fournette. Um, they don't have a proven Daryl Williams. They don't have a Terrence McGee. They don't, we don't know if they have any of that with a guy like Nick Brissett as successful as he was in high school. 
we haven't seen him be a feature back at the college level. And the same goes for Leonard Fournette and, and Clyde Edwards Elair, who played a little bit as a freshman this past year and, and started on kick returns. So I think with just the obvious need to go three and four wide and the reality that Insminger will, because that's sort of how this offense for this calendar, you know, this schedule is built this year. I don't see them putting someone out there who's not going to give them the best shot at moving the ball down the field consistently. And uh, I don't look too much. I think that they can use a number of these guys for their legs and in different packages. And um, Narcisse took a red shirt, I know, but we saw McMillan maybe get in once last year in a package. I think with Insmere, we might see that happen a little bit more often. I don't know with what regularity, but I just go into it. Whoever – Whoever throws the ball this spring and summer is going to go into the fall as being the guy in my mind. Yeah, I mean, that that's really uh, what LSU needs the most. Somebody grab the reins and, and Miles Brennan had mixed results in his time on the field last year. But, I mean, having that experience is, is key when you talk about the battle between really what's believed to be him and Lowell Narcisse. Um, it'll be interesting to watch because they're two very, very, very different quarterbacks, but that's why uh, they're going to strap it up here on Sunday when spring practices begin, we'll be out there uh, covering it all the way through uh, April 21st with the spring game in tiger stadium. And, and with that guys uh, let's do quick 15 second bold predictions. Put yourself out there. Shay lead off. Oh man. What am I going bold on just a spring ball prediction? Yeah, yeah. Throw something out there that, that'll make you look good when it happens in the fall. I think that we leave spring ball debating where a guy like Damian Lewis, their JUCO offensive guard, fits in to this year's puzzle. I Everything we hear about him is positive. He runs well. He's a monster in the weight room. Um, he was a top five JUCO offensive guard. I know that they've got Brumfield and, and Ed Ingram. Um, but I'm just wondering how James Craig is going to make this fit because I, I think maybe at the end of the day, he might be a guy that, you know, is one of the five better offensive linemen. And, and how do you figure out a way to play? Well, I th- you know, when I, when I look at, when, when I look at a bold prediction, I'm looking at something that, that I think is a, you know, hotly, hotly contested subject right now. And for me, it's running back, you know, and I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to say that a lot of people expect Clyde Edwards, Hilaire. Uh, you know, to eventually uh, win the starting job, but I think uh, I think Nick Brosette straps it up this this spring, and leaving spring, I believe he's going to be your uh, you know, he's going to be your clear number one back. Well, that that solved one uh, one issue for for LSU on offense pretty quickly. Uh, as far as my bold prediction, man, I I almost wanted to just completely pass and let you guys just you know put those out there, but for me, um. I think Lowell Narcisse has a great spring. Um, I think he's going to be able to to really, like you said uh, earlier in the podcast, just really make this battle closer than it seems, uh, or at least out there publicly with people thinking that Miles is just going to walk through and win this job. I, I really like Lowell, Lowell Narcisse and what he brings to the table. He's got the strongest arm on the team, and and uh, it shows when you're out there. Between you know last year watching even you know Danny Etling and and. Um, uh, all those guys out there, I mean, it was clear that Lowell Narcisse had the strongest arm. And um, as he takes that next step into the program with a year under his belt of being healthy and being in, in a college program and coaching and things like that, uh, I like him to have a big, big spring and, and to really uh, you know, have this thing, a neck-and-neck race coming out of spring. How's that? Well, while Bill, if that happens, 
that's going to be one of the best things that could happen for LSU this spring, because that's going to mean that that, that they will they will exit the spring they will enter the spring wondering if they have a quarterback, and they will exit the spring thinking that they've now got two. So I think that would be huge for LSU uh, entering the summer workouts. Yeah, absolutely, no doubt about that. And and um, you know, with that, guys, I, I think it's time we shut this thing down. Uh, first podcast in the books, all of us getting together to do this has so been. Ton of fun having Shay and Sonny on the podcast. Shay D, Sonny Money. Uh, I'll sign off for them. Uh, we'll return with another podcast, hopefully on Monday. Hope to do this two times a week uh, for you guys on Go 24-7. And, and be sure to check us out on Go247.com, part of the 24-7 Sports Network. If you're listening on iTunes, throw us a uh, subscribe, click that subscribe button and uh, leave us a review. Let us know how we did. And with that, we'll shut down the podcast. Thanks for listening to the first edition of the Go 24-7 podcast. You will not be able to plug in, turn on, and cop out. You will not be able to lose yourself on Skag and skip out for beer during commercials because the revolution will not be televised. The revolution will not be televised. The revolution will not be brought to you by Xerox in four parts without commercial interruptions. The revolution will not show you pictures of Nixon blowing a bugle and leading a charge by John Mitchell, General Abrams, and Spiro Agnew to eat hog moths confiscated from a Harlem sanctuary. The revolution.